Trigger warning, this conversation contains mention of rape and sexual violence. Hello, my name is Maiwa and welcome to Maiwa in Conversation, a podcast that aims to explore the unique perspectives of Africans. This season, I have conversations with Nigerians that are making an impact by disrupting societal and cultural norms, fighting against injustices, creating new paths and platforms, and who are showing that there are in fact limitless possibilities on the continent. On this episode, I'm talking to Amanda Eheme, psychotherapist and architecture photographer. Through her private psychotherapy practice, Indidi, Amanda works with clients suffering from depression, anxiety, stress, post-traumatic stress disorder, and existential crises. Amanda also founded Obodo, an initiative of Indidi. Obodo, meaning community, is a network of support groups for people in Lagos, focusing on depression, anxiety, body image, grief, and surviving Lagos. Through her photography, Amanda explores themes of history, truth, emotion, and spirituality in relation to architecture and space. Thank you for joining me today, Amanda. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. So I want our conversation today to focus on mental health stigma in Nigerian society, the ways in which Nigerians understand mental health and seek therapy, Mm -hmm. and the ways in which our collective understandings of mental health are evolving and changing. Okay. Okay. So my first question is, among many Black communities around the world, including Nigeria, concern about mental health is often cast aside as something that concerns white people with very little to worry about. With this being the case, what inspires your passion for mental health services? Um, The knowledge of it, just having information and being educated about it has really played a huge role. When I was growing up, there wasn't really any any spaces for kids to talk about the way they felt. The adults around me at the time were not very emotionally intelligent, neither were they emotionally aware or comfortable with vulnerability. So it was a thing of kids were being heard and really not listened to. You mumble words, nobody really cares, nobody could understand. So there was, this, there was always this constant search for a safe place, a person that I could really trust and try to understand the way I was thinking. So by the time I started my bachelor's study in psychology, I started to understand a bit more and gain more insight into the way the world works. And it was just like, by my third year, something just clicked in my head. I I, I studied child psychology as an elective course. So something just clicked in my head and I was like, you know what, I really want to do this because if I have this amount of information and this information has provided me this much help and awareness and insight into myself, I can only imagine how many more people and kids would be, um, would need this service. And it was now further um, emphasize the importance and the need for mental health care when I was going through depression and I was looking for therapists to help me with, with my, my mental health mm-hmm. and I couldn't really get one. And the one that I eventually got was not good enough for me. It didn't seem like he was very present. The service was very detached and it didn't feel as warm as I'd wanted to. And I'd, I'd already been to like many other mental health professionals prior to that in Ghana, in the UK, and then finally in Nigeria. So it had my experience looking for a mental health professional was not exactly fun. So nobody could really help me understand and navigate the world I was in. So when I was able to figure it out for myself, I checked out a therapy and um, taking the drugs and my meds and said, okay, you know what, I'm going to just do this self-therapy thing myself. And because I had a bit of knowledge as well, I was like, I'm going to figure it out. So when I started to figure it out and 
I got to a place where I could take care of myself adequately, I started to realize, okay, Amanda, you have the knowledge for it. You have a degree in it. You've been, and at the same time, I was also working with an NGO, Stanton Andre, but at that time I was a counselor with them. Mm-hmm. So I was also helping people at the same time I was helping myself. So it's like, you have personal experience. You are working with these people. So you have work experience and you also have educational experience. So what exactly is stopping you from, from doing this? And it was really just fear. So mm. by 2017, I just, you know, quit all the job, I, uh, paid jobs I was doing and decided to focus on getting, um, using my skills and my knowledge to create a mental health care um, service that people would get all the things that I didn't get, which was just this very, very warm, safe, um, progressive understanding space for, for treating themselves. Because if, if a lot of us are really far much more than we are suffering physical illnesses, a lot of us are actually mentally ill because, um, there's a lot of trauma. And mm-hmm. when people say that thing of, okay, that mental health care is really just for white people who really don't have things to worry about, what that tells you is not just that all Nigerians are ignorant, it's that we as Africans have not really been giving that much space to be able to process our own feelings, our emotions, because we've spent so many years of our lives trying to survive, trying to just, first of all, let's get food to eat. First of all, let's get water to drink. First of all, let's have light. When you're busy worrying about getting the basic necessities, there's really no space for you to um, have a conversation about your feelings and your emotions. And our culture is not exactly one that paid a lot of attention to that. So even the progressive development that could have, that should have happened in a society, it did not happen because we're never really given that chance to grow. Our development as people has been faced with so many traumatic interruptions that we didn't grow mm-hmm. um, in a very healthy fashion. So when people say that, I don't really only ever see it as ignorance. I also see it as a consequence of trauma, which is why you look at the generation now that are now mental health focused. And I'm not saying that our lives are any better or any worse than our parents, but what we have now is a certain privilege that it didn't have, which was a space to have this conversation, the awareness and even the knowledge bank that the internet provides for us to be able to connect with people and get help irrespective of where we are. So having that privilege and that access to information and knowledge and services that our parents didn't have has helped us now be able to have that conversation. And a lot of us are now much more courageous and far much more bold that we're able to speak up about the things that people consider taboo in our parents' generation, which is very typical of a human generation anyway. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that is what our generation has had to offer. So now people are willing to um, talk about mental health. And it's, it's now a thing of, it's either you've never heard about it or you don't understand what it is, or you've heard about it and you're just too scared to delve deeper into it. So, but then definitely at some point you would have definitely come across a person who has had the conversation about a um, mental health. So yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty much what inspired me. You know. I think it's really interesting how you talk about how growing up there was a lack of safe spaces, you know, to talk about how you, how you felt in a really meaningful way. Mm. And then finding that, you know, you just couldn't find therapy that was of a good enough quality to really meet your needs. Yeah. And then, you know, talking about how you see a lot of trauma in Nigerian society. When I was preparing for our conversation, um, I was just Googling, you know, like mental health in Nigeria. I literally just typed that into Google and I was really shocked by what I saw. And um, I read a statistic that said that Nigeria had Africa's largest caseload of depression. Mm -hmm. And I think this year there's also been, you know, cases of suicide Mm -hmm. across all, all, you know, across all 
all socioeconomic um, um, levels and mm-hmm. across different ages as well. Mm-hmm. Do you think there is a mental health crisis in Nigeria? And what I mean by this is, do you think that many mental health challenges are ignored or denied on a societal level to the detriment of the population? Of course, of, of very much. Like it's a problem. The way people are panicking about coronavirus they should be panicking about the mental health crisis in this country, in Africa generally. Ours is layers and layers and layers of trauma that has never been addressed. Slavery, colonialism, civil wars, um, terrible governments, unstable economies, all of those things would definitely contribute to the mental health issues people are having, people's mental health. And when you also think of like just even in Lagos, Nigeria, how the family system is, how people are raised. And a lot of um, Africans, Nigerians especially, are raised in very emotionally or physically violent homes that have been um, normalized and they told that it's okay, it's perfectly fine. It happens everywhere, so that makes it fine. And one of the ways that we cope here is denial. We just try to act as much as possible like, it doesn't exist. We hope that if we, if we ignore it long enough, we, it would just disappear. So there's a lot of things that are being swept under the carpet. There are people that are being told to be quiet. People are not being listened to, being cared for, and being given adequate nurturing experiences, like healthy um, nurturing environments. Like you read the news every day. I was reading the news recently, and um, just trigger warning, this is very violent. Um, a woman had uh, chopped off the, the penis of her stepson who was just a baby. And I was and reading it. There are so many things about that, that news oh stood out to me as very, very bad. First of all, she was 17 years old. So why was she even married in the first place? Second of all, she had been abused by her husband's mother and her husband's mother did nothing to help her. And her husband did absolutely nothing, even when she complained about it. And I think he ended up going to marry another wife and then the woman had a child. And so she took out her frustration on the baby. So like this, this sort of violent stories are not very uncommon in Nigerian society, irrespective of what part of Nigeria it is. People being murdered, people being beat up, kids being cut with razor blades and violated, children going to school and being punished. And it's, it's just, it's a lot. So there is a mental health crisis. We're not okay. We're not okay in Nigeria at all. We are really not doing fine. We haven't been healing well. And with every day, the economy getting tougher and tougher, I feel that the people's, um, people's issues are now bubbling to the surface that they are looking for the quickest way out of it, which is, would, would explain now the increase in the number of suicide. And sometimes I wonder, has, is the number really increasing or has it always been there? But because there hasn't been any proper um, measurement of, of information and really honest communication, because you'd see some people's funeral stories will go up and they'll tell you, oh, they died after a brief illness, but chances are they probably killed themselves. And mm. talking about suicide in the community is, is, is a taboo subject. It's a shameful thing. It has always been that way pre-colonial times, that if a person kills themselves, the family and the, the person, there's a whole lot of shame attached to it. So people don't want to talk about um, their family members killing themselves and saying that they're unhappy with life and they don't want to be there anymore. So there is, in fact, a mental health crisis. There is a huge mental health crisis in Nigeria that needs to be addressed. And that the, the longer we stay not addressing it, the worse it's going to get. It has already sifted into the way we rule our government. It has gone into the way even the companies we work at. When people say, oh, I'm working in Lagos, I'm quite worried because the first thing that comes to my head is, I hope that that's not a toxic environment. Mm-hmm. Like when you told me that you're starting a new job, that was the first thing that came to my head. Like, 
I hope that the work environment in company you're going into is not a toxic one because it is a narrative that is very common. Narcissistic bosses, tyrannical bosses, colleagues that you're working with that are abusive, that harass you, that invade your privacy, that are trying to bring you down. So it's, it's just, it's a lot. There's a lot going on. And yes, yes, there is a mental health crisis that needs to be addressed. If not, I don't know, man. I think we're going to just implode or explode, but I don't think it's going to turn out well for us if we don't deal with it. I also think that a consequence of us not dealing with, you know, our mental health is you see a lot of people, you know, acknowledging that, yes, they have a problem. Maybe they're suffering from low mood or feeling particularly anxious or feel like they don't have any control over their life and, and their well-being. But then instead of going to a trained medical health professional, they're going to churches and they're seeking counsel from religious leaders. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, I think this is good because you're reaching out for help. But then Mm -hmm. on the other hand, you see that many religious leaders in Nigeria are quite abusive and tyrannical. Mm -hmm. Do you think this is a possible solution for this mental health crisis, going to churches and having churches um, form support groups for people? If the churches are working with professionals who understand, because faith is such an important part of the person's healing process. Even when people come into therapy with me, your religious beliefs are important. They matter. It's not, you can't remove it from the person's life. It just becomes a problem when those religious beliefs are now being used to control, manipulate, or to now hold the person back from growing, rather than using to expand their understanding of the world and provide them solace in themselves and also in their ability, their belief that they are going to be able to rise above whatever um, trouble they're facing and to even find uh, a space for inner reflection, you know, to look at themselves really uh, and receive like forgiveness or mercy from whatever deity they believe in. Your religious beliefs are very important and faith is a part of even therapy as well. And I know that because here in Nigeria, it's a big part of the people coming into therapy and they discuss their faith. They have to talk about it because they need it to make sense so that their lives can make sense. But then when the religious belief is now being used to control and to manipulate and it's not helping heal their process, rather it's used to be um, protecting the intent, the, the image of the church or to protect the church or the, the pastor to add to his ego, that's when it becomes destructive. And I do admit it, like Christianity is a dominant religion in Lagos. And a lot of times what we have seen is that many of the pastors that people have relied on are actually people who are abusive. So it's not even helping in any matter. It's not helping at all. So what I'd recommend is that let's just stick with the professionals who went to school to study it before we then go to the spiritual directors um, to seek counseling because some of these people do not understand that when a person is depressed, they need to seek professional help instead of just being prayed on. Mm -hmm. That prayer alone is not going to be able to help them deal with the problems that they're having. And and the thing is, some people go to their churches because it's cheaper, you know, to talk to your pastor is cheaper. Mm-hmm. And religious beliefs, religious spaces have always been a place of respite for Nigerians. In times of difficulty, they run to, they run to God, they run to their God, they pray, they ask for help because there is a belief that um, there is another force that is controlling or 
and watching over them and that, that can help to turn their favor around that would make things positive for them. So churches and mosques and religious spaces have always been a place of respite. So the first thing that an African or a Nigerian is going to think of when they're in distress is to run to their spiritual director, their spiritual leader, their spiritual teacher with the hope that he or she would provide him or her some insights or some healing words that would help them to move on. But you can't go to your pastor to heal your broken leg. You have to go to an orthopedic surgeon or a physical therapist. It doesn't make sense. So when you when you're you're mentally ill, you're sick, it helps if the pastor is well informed enough to know, okay, this is where um, spirituality, spirituality ends and then medical treatment begins. And it's medical treatment, not without faith, but with faith that they're going to get better. So for now, I think that because we, we're still in the place where we still need more education and more information, it would be good for us to focus on working on creating a health system, a mental health system first, and then educating our pastors and then educating our spiritual leaders about how to counsel people um, with mental illnesses and to refer them when they know that this is beyond the jurisdiction of the church. Mm-hmm. But to run to your pastor, first of all, as a source of respite, I understand it, but I don't think it's always the best thing to do. But, but it is a situation that we have on ground, honestly. It's, it's currently the only solution that many people have. Churches, most, have always been a safe haven. So I understand them going to church, but I don't think it's been very helpful because it's not turned out quite well for some of them. I think it's so important that you mentioned that, you know, if you broke your leg, you wouldn't go to your pastor only and expect Mm. that the prayer would heal your leg. Because I think a lot of people are still unable to see that mental health and mental illness is just as serious as physical illness. Mm -hmm. And in extreme cases, both can lead to death. Yeah, yeah. I just find that that's something that many people and and not even just Nigerians, not even just Africans, but it just seems like around the world, that's Mm -hmm. something that people just fail to understand. Going back to the point you raised about trauma and how we see the consequences of that manifesting in our society, I can't help but think that there's also a gendered element Mm -hmm. of of trauma because it seems as though even just looking at the family unit, a lot of girls my age seem to be quite traumatized by, by the dynamics of their parents' relationship, by what they've been told is, is womanhood and, and being a wife. Is this valid? Is there a gendered element or gendered aspect to trauma and generational trauma? Yeah, there is, because everything else in our life is gendered. The clothes we wear, the places we go, the way we act. There's a way to act if you present as a man. There's a way to act if you present as a woman. So that's it. Everything about our lives is gendered. So when your experience, your nurturing experience is gendered, of course that the um, illnesses and the symptoms that you present will be peculiar to people in your gender, which is why you find anxiety far much more common around amongst women. And then when you look at anger and anger management classes, you tend to find more men. When you think about, okay, suicide happening, you find more men committing suicide. And then with women, it's not as common because women, even though um, we have not been allowed to speak, the one thing that I appreciate so much is that we've been, we've allowed ourselves to still hold on to um, vulnerability and emotional support. So we're able to get help. But then with men, it's not that possible. So where the suicide rate for men is a lot higher. So definitely, yes, there is a gendered element to 
um, mental illnesses. There are illnesses that are far much more common in men and in women as a result of the society's um, impression on them and how they were raised and the experiences that they've had as well. And I want to link this idea of trauma and also the gendered aspect of trauma to the current fight to end gender-based violence. Mm -hmm. How can women protect their mental health in the wake of constant reports of horrific and violent instances of rape and sexual sexual violence? Mm. I think now would be a good time for a lot of women to start going to therapy to work through some of these very difficult emotions that they're experiencing um, to talk about it with a professional that can help them learn how to cope and how to navigate it. Because for every woman, even though we all experience this, the way it affects us is very different. There are where we come from, the expectations that our culture has of us, our religious beliefs. We're all very different women. So it is important for us to speak to a professional that will help us understand the different ways that um, this unsafe environment affects us and manifests in our spaces. So the first thing I'll suggest is, Get therapy, join a support group that um, for women, where women can talk about these issues that they're facing and, you know, re- rely on other women to help keep them safe. So taking care of your mental health is the most important thing. The first and most important thing, seek help. If you can create your own community, and I think this is something that the pandemic has taught me, the importance of creating your own community in the absence of none, instead of waiting for people to do it and then you join if you can, just a group of four or five women that you can meet with regularly every every week, every two weeks, to just talk and have a space to just vent and rant and, and not feel judged and not feel like someone is imposing their own beliefs and ideals on you. That would be very, very helpful for you. And then taking up habits like journaling, um, maybe taking care of plants, you know, nurturing other things that make you feel good and channeling that energy of like, okay, I'm only going to allow the things that make me feel good around me and things that don't make me feel good. I'm going to just take them away. And educating yourself about mental health and mental illnesses and gender-based violence. Like the more you know about it, the better you are able to protect yourself, the better you're able to notice the signs. Read about personality disorders, deal with your own childhood trauma so that you don't end up in a situation that you would have been able to save yourself from if you were just a bit more aware. And then to also take away this idea that women are helpless and we can't really um, take care of ourselves, we can't protect ourselves, and actually learn some physical combat. I'd, I'd say this all the time. It is important for women to learn how to defend themselves physically because if you can't, when the time comes and it's necessary for you to do that, you would not be able to do it. And I know how many times just knowing how to even just raise my hand up has saved me from a lot of trouble here in Nigeria. And just knowing that if anything happens, I can stand up and defend myself because I'm energetic, I'm strong, I work out, I know that I can take care of myself, provides me with like a lot less anxiety. So I know that, okay, I can fight for myself, I can take care of myself, I can protect myself. So taking care of your mental health, learning how to defend yourself, educating yourself about mental illnesses and disorders, and dealing with your own trauma, if anyone, any exists, and joining support groups, creating communities and channeling just good energy around yourself, setting boundaries and make, being, very, being very careful and discerning about the kinds of people you allow into your spaces are ways that I know women can protect themselves at this time. And going back to you know, how Nigerians are understanding mental health, like you said before, the way we collectively understand mental health has gone such a long way just around the world. Mm-hmm. Do you see a change in the way Nigerians are understanding mental health for the better? 
Yeah, I actually do. Honestly, I think it, it, gets, it gets better every year. What I wish is that, that it goes into schools. It becomes something that they teach students in schools. It becomes a course that you have to study. Everyone says, I did psychology 101 in my first year. I wish that they wouldn't just teach people psychology. I wish they would teach people about mental health care. Even if it's just mental health first aid that you learn, make it as important and as compulsory as, as learning your math and your English course. Teaching people emotional intelligence from from when they're young, how to communicate their feelings and understand other people's feelings, um, being aware of defense mechanisms, things like that are very, very helpful. So if they start educating people more in schools about it, that would be a huge step forward. But from what I'm seeing now, the current generation that's growing up, people in their 30s, 40s, 20s, and even the teens as well, are becoming more outspoken about their mental health, about their sexuality, about their gender expression. So so I, I see there being a positive growth, but I think that there's still so much that can be done to be able to help um, the progression of this growth to make it move forward exponentially where more and more people, even down to the grassroots level, will be able to understand what mental health is and that people would not just only talk about mental health. So, you know, when you talk about physical health, they say malaria, 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 but you know that if you're sick, who are you going to go to the doctor, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're, you need help, you know, you're going to go to a hospital. Last bad as it bad, you enter hospital. Even if you've tried everything else and nothing works, you enter. But nobody talks about therapy. Nobody talks about what happens in therapy. So it's like, it's like there is a huge conversation about depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, personality disorders, and other mental illnesses. But then the very process of getting help is where the issue is. Because people know, okay, this is what the problem is. But how do I get better? Where do I go to, um, to get help? So creating that ease of access to um, mental health care is also something else that can be done. Um, and I appreciate the fact that a lot of companies now in Lagos are taking up that responsibility and hiring um, psychiatrists and therapists um, to work with them, with their staff, not just small companies, but even um, big companies with a very a big staff strength. They're willing to like, okay, let's bring somebody into the company to talk about mental health, to help support the HR department, to let us know how we can better make the company a mentally healthy workplace for for our staff members. So that's really helpful because in that space, people are able to learn and then at the same time have access to mental health care, which is really, really good. So having that and retraining the guidance counselors in secondary schools and primary schools and making emotional intelligence and mental health care a part of the curriculum would be very, very helpful. But I have to say that judging from when I first started practicing um, till now, I'd say that the knowledge of people um, about mental health has increased. More people are willing to come into therapy. More people are willing to even just refer their friends if their friends are not coming. They're willing to get their parents' help. I've, I've worked with a lot of people who are, I want to get my mom help. I want to get my parents' help. I want to, my mom is definitely traumatized. I know that they, they have, she has had a violent marriage or this has been traumatic for her, so she needs help. Or my dad needs to go to therapy. Even though they're in their 50s or their 60s, the kids are pushing for them to get help. So yes, there is a growing um, knowledge of mental health care. And if the government and many more powerful 
um, private institutions should throw their backs behind it and sort of create like a, a major awareness as to this is why you need to go and get help. Just like what Betty Rabo did with her book and then doing this mental health tour around the country. She went to Abuja, went to Kano, was in Lagos. I think she went to Calabar as well. I'm not sure. But she went to different places and she sat with like thousands of women and all they did was talk about depression and anxiety and mental health. Mm. And she told her own story, her own experience and how she got better and also provided them with access and information to mental health care. So if, if more of things are being done like that, it would really help um, people understand that some of the things they're going through is not a spiritual attack. It's not your family pressing you down. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It doesn't mean that at the core of you, there's something wrong with you. It just means that maybe the environment you're in is very unhealthy for you and that your body's manifesting this or somatizing in those different ways. So mental health is progressing, but we can, we can do more. But we've done well. And you're so right. Ease of access to mental health care and also knowledge is so, so, so important. I remember the first time I had a panic attack and I literally thought I was dying. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't even know what was going on. I thought maybe I was having an asthma attack, but then I was also crying. Mm-hmm. My vision was also blurred. It was so strange. And I literally had no idea what was happening to me mm-hmm. or even just how to help myself. And it was only when I spoke to my mom a couple of hours after that, she said, I think you had a panic attack and I think yeah. you need to talk to someone, you know, ASAP. Yeah. And on this topic of, you know, getting to the stage where you realize that you need to speak to someone and see a therapist, how do you recommend a person goes about finding a therapist suitable for them? The first place is Google. And here in Nigeria, it's going to be a little hard because you're going to have to try a few places to find the right kind of therapist for you first. And there are not a lot of therapists out there. And then now then shrink that so there are not a lot of good therapists out there. So finding the right kind of therapist for yourself might be a little dicey. So if you're in Nigeria and looking for help, I want to just, first of all, accept that it would be a little difficult. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean it's not possible. What I always tell people, the first place to go to is to find the NGOs that are running um, that are mental health aware. So like mentally aware, um, stand to end rape, they provide counseling services, joy, incredible. There are so many NGOs. So let me not say so many, but there are many NGOs. There's um, tears, which offers free mental health care for LGBT people. Mm-hmm. There's um, yeah, Assad's that is um, it's an association against suicide, anti-suicide squad. Yeah. So they have um, listeners. There's mind County and mind County has listeners where you can just go sitting and listen someone listens to you. So there are so many places, these places that you can go to and then just ask them that I want to speak to a therapist. Can you refer me to one? That's always a good starting point. So they have a number of therapists and psychiatrists that they've worked with in the past that they'll be able to um, refer you to because they know, okay, we've worked with this person and people trust their services. And they themselves also have counselors and you can be able to get like a free therapy. I, I know mentally aware does offer free counseling for people. So that's always a good place to start. So when you start from there, take the numbers that they've given to you, call the therapist yourself, um, speak to them, ask questions. Like don't just go off the bat and just say, okay, because someone referred me to you, I'm definitely going to be comfortable with you. No, no, no. Ask them questions, call them. Can I have a chat with you? I want to, I want to start therapy with you, but I want to have a conversation with you to know if we are a good fit for each other before I um, decide to book a session with you and your therapist should be able to offer you that. So you just talk to them as, what do you do? Where did you study? 
Um, what kind of people do you work with? I just want to know a track record, the kind of people that you've worked with. Um, what do you think about this? Raise some of your concerns. Do you work with queer people? Um, are you religious? Are you faith-based? Um, and stuff like that. So when you ask these questions and you feel comfortable with the way your therapist responds and you feel a sort of connection or warmth or anything that lets you know that you guys are going to be a good fit, please go ahead and then book your session and then work with them. But even at that, I always tell people like book the first session first and just know if you are comfortable with these people, first of all, if you are comfortable with them, then you can continue to book more sessions and continue your therapy with them. People are also curious about what to get out of therapy and, you know, like, how do you know it's working and when should it work? What should a person expect when they see a therapist and how should people understand the positive effects? So, yeah, I guess the question is, how do you know when it's working? Uh, that's a very interesting question. How do you know when therapy is working? Usually is when you start to feel better. <laughs> I mean, that's how you know when the drug is working, right? Mm -hmm. It's when you start to feel better, when, when you start to notice your symptoms are being alleviated. But then it's not just that alone. It's knowing that you now have the skills to cope with the challenges you've been facing. Mm -hmm. It's that you've gained insight into the situations and the problems that you're having. But the thing is, therapy is not just a one-person um, venture. It's not just all your therapist's responsibility to do. It's mostly the client that does the work, mm -hmm. far much more than the therapist. My job when I'm in therapy is to listen to you. And from listening to you, I would be able to, within the hour when we're speaking, um, understand what you're talking about, where your pain is coming from, and then sort of like let you know that, okay, I understand. And this is exactly what has been happening. The reason why you're having these symptoms of anxiety or depression is because of this, is because of that issue. So the way we're going to deal with it is we're going to learn these particular skills. So I want you to practice this. I want you to read this. We're going to do this exercise. Maybe it's a role-playing exercise or a writing exercise, just things that, that would help the client get better. So the therapist is going to be there to guide you. The therapist is going to be there to give you information. The therapist is going to be there to help you gain insight. But the person who does the work that would then result in change is the client. And if you're not willing and you're not ready, no matter how many therapy sessions you go to, it will not work. No matter how, even if you pay the most expensive therapist in the world, it's still not going to work. So you as a person have to be in a place where you're willing to get help and you're also willing to make those difficult changes that are required for you to gain back control of your life in the ways you've lost it. So if you're not ready to make that change, when you know you're, you're seeing a very toxic situation and you need to either um, leave, leave the relationship for your betterment or you have to now start to enforce boundaries, reevaluate your friendships. If you're discussing this in therapy and your therapist is telling you, okay, fine, you need to go back and reflect on this red friendship, reevaluate it, and then come back to therapy and let's discuss it so you know if this is something you want to keep doing or a friendship you want to keep in your life and you go back and you don't do any of that and then you come back to therapy and complain about how your friends are not great or the relationship is not working out, a therapist can help you because she cannot go into your life and make those changes for you. Mm. So 50% of the responsibility is with the client. The other 50% is with the therapist to be present, to be knowledgeable, to be aware, to be professional, um, to be able to guide the client in the right direction to go. But the change really happens when the client does the work. 
So if you do the work, you will feel better. If you do the work with the help of a therapist, a good therapist, you will start to notice that different changes in your life. And more often than not, it would start with the alleviation of your symptoms. So your panic attacks would most likely reduce. Um, you wake up in the morning, you wouldn't feel that heaviness in your chest anymore. And when things are happening around you and you're reacting, your emotions are flaring up, you're not going to feel like you're out of control or you're like a slave to your feelings. Rather, you will now be more aware that the reason why these feelings are cropping up at this particular situation is because it's a trigger, a trigger for because of a traumatic experience I had when I was a kid or really just a symptom of a mental illness that I have. If you have bipolar disorder, your therapist will help you understand, okay, this is when you know... Um, when you're slipping into a manic episode, these are the things for you to look out for. And these are also the things for you to let you know when you're going through a depressive episode. They work with your psychiatrist to make sure your pills are going well with you. So they'll just help you maintain your health. But the person who does the work, the person who takes the pills is the client. So you know you're getting better when your symptoms are being alleviated. But if you don't do the work in therapy that is required for you to change um, and get better and, and take back control of your life, then therapy is just going to be like an empty room that you come to rent and there's nothing your therapist can do. And if your therapist gets to a point where they feel like they can no longer help you because you're not willing to be helped, they have every right to terminate that relationship mm. and tell you to come back when you're ready to do the mm. work. I've had a lot of friends talk about how they were willing to do the work. They tried to, to do the work. They tried to work collaboratively with their therapist but they just didn't feel it getting any better, you know, two months later, three months later, six months later. Mm. And I think I've just realized that some therapists just don't work for some people. Mm -hmm. How, how do you know that, you know, you need to sever the relationship with your therapist and maybe uh, seek help some seek help with somebody else? I think the, the first thing you'd need to do, if you notice that after a while you're still not getting any better, and also the thing is like with getting better with mental health and mental illnesses, it's not just like a straight path forward. For some people, it takes a while. It takes a year. It takes two years. It takes three years. And for some people, it takes six months. Some people think that the moment they go for therapy, the first session, they'll be great. Some people think that the moment they have three sessions, that's it. I've been to, they think that once they go into therapy, they get to, there are clients of mine that get to a point where I'm like, okay, fine, you can definitely take care of yourself. So at this point, you don't really need me as much as you did before. So we can reduce our sessions like once a month instead of once a week. Mm -hmm. And after like two, three months, they come back again and we're like on another succession plan because they're going through um, something in their life that they don't think they can navigate. So getting better is not always like a straightforward line. As soon as I get into therapy, I'm meant to start getting better. That's not how it works. You're going to get better sometimes and you're going to fall down sometimes. And you're going to get back up sometimes. You're going to fall down sometimes. But the goal is that the times when you fall, you're able to understand what is going on with you. You're able to gain insight and you're, you're able to seek for help. But when it gets to a point where you've been in therapy with someone and you know that this is not just a case of um, therapy not being, healing not being a straight line, I'm actually actively not getting better. The first thing I suggest you do is to discuss it with your therapist and let them know that I don't think I'm getting better. I don't think that my symptoms are being alleviated. I don't think that this therapy is working for me so that they can discuss it with you. And it may be something that they may have wanted to discuss with you before and you hadn't gotten the chance to. And you guys can talk about it. And if, and if you come to a point where you feel like they're not helping you anymore, it's perfectly fine. You can seek to terminate the relationship. And just, I don't think that... 
um, therapy is working for me right now. So I'm just going to take a break off of it. Um, I want to terminate our relationship and I'll be happy if you refer me to another therapist. And that's okay. It happens sometimes. And you can always give them another therapist's details and hope that mm. they will get the best care. And what you can do is you can just give them their notes and um, give them like a, a letter that's let the other therapist know this is where we've come from and this is where we are now and this is why we're terminating. So they can then know this is where we're picking up from and how to help the person. Maybe the other therapist would just have a different perspective or they might just say something differently that really resonates with the client at the point where they are, that'll be able to help them get better. So if you feel like you're working with the therapist and you're not getting any better, just speak to your therapist about it. I don't think I'm getting better. I don't think that this is helping me out. I've had people tell me that and it's okay. I understand because I'm not everyone's savior. I'm not everybody's hero. Mm. I'm not going to be able to help every single client that comes up to me. So when they tell me that they don't think they're getting better and therapy is not for them, I'm like, that's perfectly, I'm glad that you're confident and courageous enough and I've created a space where you can feel safe enough to say that you're not being assisted um, the way you want to. So what I'll do is I'll just refer you to other therapists and let them know that this is where we're coming from and we've tried, but it's just not working. And I'm hoping that you get help with them because the most important person is the client and making sure that they get the healing that they deserve so that they're working um, fully as a part of the society. So if it's not working out, just talk, talk to your therapist about it. Seek another um, therapist to work with. Maybe even just take a break from therapy altogether, maybe for like a few months and, and sort of do the introspection on your own. Mm. Because sometimes with therapy, it's a, it's a thing of you gain the awareness, you gain the insight, and then there is now the time for you to practice. And some people, it's in that practice phase that it gets stuck, but then they just keep coming back to therapy with the hope of getting insight. And your therapist just keeps repeating the same thing over and over again. But the truth is that you know it now. You just have to practice it for it to take effect. Mm -hmm. So what they do is as soon as they go off therapy, they just sort of like, you know, all these things I've learned or the information, I'm going to just take this break to just be on my own and put it into practice. And when you do put it into practice, you find like six months later, they're doing much better. And when they come back to therapy, um, you hear that they are making progress. They're actually moving forward. They're practicing the things they've learned and they're getting better. So sometimes you can just decide to take a break from therapy. If you feel like you're not gelling with your therapist, it's fine. You can always terminate with them and have yourself referred to another therapist. My last question is, what is the one thing you wish every Nigerian understood about mental health and seeking support? It is important. It is, it's necessary you're not as strong as you think you are. And that asking, needing support does not mean that you're weak. Mm. It means that you're strong. Asking for it means that you're strong because you know where you end, where your own energy ends and you need other people to push you forward. That is a sign of growth. And that being quiet and being silent and denying issues is not a sign of maturity. Mm -hmm. Not speaking up is not a sign of maturity. It's a sign of, of being like a scared little child that is afraid of speaking up because of the consequences that may follow, either the way they feel about themselves or the way people around them would make them feel. So, yeah, that opening up is scary in this part of the world, honestly, because mm -hmm. trust is a problem here. Yeah. But there are, there are safe spaces. There are people who really genuinely want to help. So yeah, that everyone, everyone needs a therapist. Even I have a therapist. 
every single person needs one. Mm. So yeah, go, go get help and show up for yourself. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to end this section of the episode. I like to do rapid fire questions just so the listener and me get a better sense of who you are just, you know, as, as a human and not yeah. just as a therapist. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you 15 questions and it's literally just, you just choose one of the two things. Okay. Right. Yeah. So question one, therapy solo or in a group? Solo. Hot shower or long bath? Long bath. Run or yoga? Run. Essential oils or candles? Essential oils. City break or quiet, rural, and peaceful? Quiet, rural, and peaceful. Beach or park? Beach. Meditation or journaling? Journaling. Residential buildings or commercial? Residential. Colonial architecture or modernist architecture? I'll just go with modern. Exposed brick or paint all over? Exposed brick. Manual camera or digital? Digital. Camera or iPhone? Camera. Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Night owl or early bird? Night owl. Your breakup playlist, Asha or Naramali? I know, I'm going to go with Asha. All right. So to end the episode, I like to talk about the three texts that have shaped the way you think. And I say text because it doesn't have to be a book. It could be a poem. It could be a magazine, an article. It could even be a song. So, yeah. Um, oof, I feel like uh, it's not because I'm going for a run after this. It's not when I'm on my run that I'll not have like my three bomb answers. This is just so frustrating. But <laughs> the ones that are coming to head at the moment, the first book that changed me and influenced the way I think um, was a book I read called Chicken Soup for the Soul. It taught me about the power of kindness, vulnerability, openness. And it was a very influential part um, of my of my my teenage years, that book really really shaped me a lot as a person. And it was, I think, the first time I ever came across the um, experience of saving a person from suicide with kindness. Because one of the first stories that I had read was about a guy who was going home, and then someone spoke to him, and then years later, the person sent him a message and just like, you know what, you speaking to me that day helped me because I was just about to go kill myself. So I was in SS two when I first read that book. I took it from my father's um, library. So that's the first book that changed my life. The second one, um, it's not a poem, it's a song. And this was also when I was a kid. I'd been listening to it. And every year when I get older and I play it again, it makes a whole lot more sense to me. And it was a song by um, Baz Luhrmann, which is Wear Sunscreen. That song, um, when I, was, I started listening to it, I heard it on the radio the first time when I was, I think, nine. And I didn't get it, but then it just had so much knowledge in it and I just kept it so every time so I sort of like used the, the message of the song to sort of um, guide my life when I was growing up when I was growing up and there was one thing it said it was there's a part of the song that just says dance so I dance a lot <laughs> a lot you know much I where I am on the road walking I'm dancing so and then the third one um, I wanted to add one more just like a half, but no, I'm just going to go straight to the third. The third text that has really shaped me has to be another book that I got from my father. My father has a beautiful collection of books. I have to give him that. Um, <laughs> it's a book called Bold, How to Be Bold in Business and When. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was very influential because when I was starting my practice, I, I recognized the fact that 
as much as I'm going to be a clinician and a practitioner, I'm also going to be a businesswoman. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't happy with the experiences that I had with the way people were running business in Lagos. And I always felt like it seems like in Lagos for you to be successful in business, you have to be like a shady, manipulative, narcissistic, evil person. Mm -hmm. That's a tyrant and that abuses all the staff. But then I went to my father's um, library one day and I saw this beautiful book, Bold, How to Win in Business. And I read it and it was just a collection of different stories of companies that have been able to create a system that is filled with kindness to their staff, um, careful training, um, proper support, just really taking care of the people that work with them and then teaching how this has translated into them being not just successful, but also lasting for a very long time. And also just being aware of how to progress when the climate and the, the world is changing and um, how people are changing as well. So having that, that book in my life really shaped the way I run my practice and how I would run almost every business I own. I haven't finished reading the book. I'm just halfway through it. I, I go to it anytime I need help and I feel stuck in my business and I don't know how to move forward. I just go back to that book and I read like a new chapter or continue from where I left off and then, yeah, it just, it pretty much just helps me have clarity. So those three texts have been very influential. The song by Baz Luhrmann, um, Chicken Soup for the Soul and How to Be Bold in Business and Win. There are a bunch of other texts, but yeah, those are the three major ones I know that off the top of my head, I can remember. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you so much for being on my podcast. This has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. find out more about Amanda's practice Indidi, go to Indidi.me. There you can book a session with Amanda and sign up for a support group meeting. You can find me on Instagram where I'll be reading and reviewing books at Maya underscore reads. Thank you for listening. <laughs>